Hello, my name is I'm Yosef Frimpong. I come to you live usually every Thursday, but I have a special show, a special show for Tuesday because we get one side of the story in, in the United States about the situation in the war or a special operation, depending on who you ask, between Ukraine and Russia. Oh, let me turn off. Uh, and we get one we get one side of the story and i just want the people to have more sides of the story especially because we're <laughs> levying sanctions in our name I'm, I'm in the us right now in athens georgia so we're levying sanctions in our name and uh we're giving guns to people and you know i that's the latter thing is what worries me because we're not giving guns to necessarily the best people i worry and i think this is a real worry that however this shakes out eventually the guns we give to the people in Ukraine are going to end up being part of some sort of internal purge of like either Russia sympathize or like, like this doesn't end well. Usually when we give guns to people in 15 years, those same guns end up doing things that we don't want them to do. And then we pretend we, that we're dumb or naive and when we do it. So like, I just worry that the guns we give will not end up uh, in the right places, in the right times. And uh, so like that's that's really what got me thinking about the Ukraine situation as soon as we started arming one side. And then when I started to understand that that one side isn't really um, known for like some sort of long-term uh, <laughs> vision that accords with my understanding of justice. And I'm talking about, you know, the, 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 the rabid neo-Nazi uh, faction. So I brought in an expert not an expert, just a regular guy in Moscow who thinks about things, and just like I'm a regular guy in the U.S. who thinks about things, and we're going to kind of solve, we're going to solve the world's problems, and I think we're going to learn a lot about what is and is not true of Russian political life, right? So I'm going to bring Igor into the stream. Hi. <laughs> uh, tell me again how do I pronounce your name, and then I'll tell you how you pronounce my name. Okay, uh, you pronounce my name Irony. 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 My name is Yegor. Oh, Yegor. Yegor. It's not Igor. Yes, that's completely different name of the completely different <laughs> roots. So, and it's actually it's actually a different name. There is a Nordic name Igor in Russia, and there is Greek name Yegor in Russia. So kind oh. of different kind. Of. So different things. Okay, anyway, Irony, right? Right. So here's the deal. Right. What we're told about living in Putin's Russia is that you can't talk. It's just, it's very like authoritarian. There is no freedom and you can't express yourself. You cannot be alternative to the Russian party line. And if you do at any point in time, you can be, you know, disappeared. But then I went and, and I did a little bit of research or just like looking around in Russia and there's like 10 seasons of The Voice. <laughs> and so like there's like all of this kind of low culture that means that there's actually a lot more expression than like both at the low and the high level than than we're taught so what's the truth about political expression and just expression of ideas just as just a russian national well i would say that the voice uh, probably is not the example that i would call an example of freedom this is an ex example of a cultural expert that helps to keep people asleep. I mean, uh, working class asleep, uh, collective consciousness asleep. So th this is a, 
like, I don't know, fast food, culture of fast food and uh, Marvel movies. And don't get me wrong, I, I love uh, me some good American blockbuster, but this is not, uh, when you have like American stuff, uh, like uh, movies, uh, voice, uh, reality TV and so on, and even iPhones in your pocket, uh, exactly those things that we are being threatened right now by being taken away from us. This is not the signifiers of uh, freedom in any in any way, actually, or even uh, richness, because most of the people who can afford to buy iPhone in Russia can afford only by taking a loan to this. So uh, it's uh, quite the opposite of the things that your favorite intellectual uh, Dave Rubin once said that if you have uh, an iPhone in your pocket, you cannot be oppressed. Uh, this is actually the tool of oppression. And it had been taken away. One of the first things that was uh, with sanctions uh, was taken away or threatened to be taken away from us is iPhones like these iPhones you keep in your hands right now. This is the last iPhone you'll ever have. So if this is a freedom of tool, how can uh, you uh, tool of freedom? How can you threaten us to uh, take our, our freedom from us just by? Uh, taking our iPhones from us. This does not make any sense. This is um, iPhones, voice, and, and so American TV, American culture, in a broader sense. This is exactly tools of oppression, not in oppression, literally oppression, because they obviously uh, serve as a, cer a certain relief, as an open for the masses, uh, exactly the same purpose as uh, religion serves in original Marxist uh, definition of the opium of the masses on he wasn't actually anti-clerical in his definition religion of the of, uh, as the opium of the for the masses he was actually very sympathetic to religion but he understood it's uh, the its main function uh, of religion uh, and you can see it in um, um, uh, playing out throughout the history that uh, to relieve the pain to the masses pain from oppression and uh, when people say that uh, we're taking uh, this thing uh, from you, like iPhones or latest release of Hollywood movies, we are say, they are saying that we're not taking tools of freedom from you. We are saying that now we are going to make the horror of, uh, uh, you meet the horror of neoliberal world order without any painkiller. That we also mm -hmm. pro we're providing for you, for your money. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, uh, but on the other hand, on the other hand, uh, the notion that in Russia you have no freedom is uh, uh, largely true, but there is uh, important, uh, I know, there are rules and uh, there is, a, it's a spectrum. Of course, Russia less democratic than the United States, but I will call United States a democracy. And I'm fully aware that when I uh, criticize American democracy, I'm uh, talking as a Russian from Russia. I'm not saying that uh, like Russia, have a uh, comparable democracy to the United States. It is definitely much worse, uh, but uh, democracy is not as a hard concept to understand. Right. It's a much harder concept to implement. It's one yeah. person, one vote, and majority decides. And if we uh, look at into like, I, I can from uh, my heart, uh, from my head, uh, from the top of my head, I remember like dozen of policies that uh, for many years supported by majority of Americans and they have no chance to be implemented exactly anytime soon. exactly so, that's no democracy here but uh, of course you have a much uh, bigger 
uh, much uh, closer to democratic state than Russia is. Right, not so completely undemocratic, but we much uh, uh, far on this way to democracy than you are. So I was looking at the State Duma, which is the legislative body, and the breakdown. And so while I see here that the Russian National Party has an overwhelming majority, there are spaces for dissenting voice, which means that you can dissent without being thrown into a prison. Or uh, no, there is no dissenting voice there, there right is... now. I mean, uh, we have uh, like uh, four parties monopoly, like you have two parties duopoly okay. over power. I mean, they the whole body of forty four hundred fifty people. Uh, since Putin got elected, there was one, two, three, four, five, five uh, parliamentary elections, I believe, and each time Duma uh, was uh, taking bigger, uh, over uh, stronger, stronger control by presidential administration. So basically, each seat, and uh, you can safely say that since uh, 2016, so previous election and the latest election was 2021 so uh, past year last year uh, that at least two was uh, latest dumas uh, each seat out of 450 uh, was uh, approved by the presidential administration okay. each one so <laughs> there is no dissenting voices they are completely under control of uh, Kremlin completely this is uh, as they uh, show as much diversity as uh, your congress i mean in terms of, of ideology they Very are completely good. beholden to the kremlin and there's this notion among americans that putin kind of took over russia without any influence from the us and that we're not at all responsible for the rise of putin and See this yes. is what this is what's bothersome to me because in my independent studies it seems like without the us you don't get yeltsin and then without yeltsin you don't get putin so there's a way in which without the us who knows if putin would be in charge right now am i wrong right or what am i getting wrong? Uh, what's par going on? Par partially wrong partially uh, right i mean uh, you definitely get me yeltsin without us he was raised in the united soviet union nomenclature class so he was uh, making his way uh, at the very top and you pro and you the person of putin you definitely got uh, without any influence of united states okay but the broader condition conditions that uh, defined yeltsin's presidency Right. And defined a, cho uh, a particular choice of this figure like Putin, not Putin per se, and condition Putin presidency. That uh, this, these conditions are, of course, uh, the broadly res broader responsibility for them for them uh, lies uh, on the West, collective West, uh, and uh, it's very simple to understand because I mean uh, you can uh, see. I, I noticed that often that um, right wing and left wing worldview are often uh, points on the, at the same problems, but uh, right wing, let's say, uh, right wing uh, tends to see this like premeditated thing. So uh, there is definitely a worldwide oligarchy class that controls uh, 
uh, our world in broader sense. But uh, when you see the signs of it, uh, if you, let's say, educated uh, not very well, you would imagine that there is a, a literally some kind of secret society <laughs> and people uh, do it in coordinated fashion in some secret places. You, uh, when you educated better and you became a leftist, you understand that it's uh, basically uh, coincided uh, interests uh, of the different people from different countries uh, make uh, them uh, operate as the mm -hmm. uh, singular body in some sense. Even if they are competing with each other, uh, they still have their broader interests uh, that define their politics. And same thing with the politics of Russia. It was defined uh, by the uh, broader conditions that were set by the West because uh, Russia, Soviet Union, I should say, in one way lost Cold War, in another way didn't. Uh, it lost Cold War as an economic and political uh, struggle, so it lost uh, in the way not the West uh, won per se, but Soviet Union inside of itself lost the belief in the driven in the, in the idea that was uh, driven the struggle, the, the idea of communism and socialism and so on. So it it was a disappointment on uh, our part, Soviet part. So we lost this. So this uh, notion that. Real quick. So the notion that the culture of Russia right now is uh, socialist or communist or 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 is is no, the same yeah, so culture. It's completely ridiculous. Yes. It's yeah, it's it's completely ridiculous. ridiculous. So that's what I. So uh, the culture of Soviet of the culture of Russia today and the culture of Soviet Union in 1977 two completely different cultures or like. What's going uh, well, on? Well, th th there is, of course, some continuation yeah, right, uh, right. because uh, many of the people that were alive in the 70s uh, or young in the 70s are in power yeah. now. Yeah. But it's continuation in the sense that those people who were young in the 70s got uh, in the young age completely disappointed in the idea that was uh, driving their parents. Uh, and it created an ideological vacuum in their heads. And they uh, thought that the West is able to fill this uh, vacuum uh, with some better ideas and provide uh, better outcomes. Unfortunately, the West at the same time was uh, taken over by neoliberalism and Thatcherism Reaganism. So you really didn't send, send us your best. <laughs> no, you send didn't. us Thatcherism, you send us Reaganism, you send us neoliberalism at the moment of the uh, mental weakness collective mental weakness, I should say, when people were looking at you and they were looking at you at your best, like this uh, 1960s American right. dream when one working person uh, could uh, feed the whole family, uh, right? This dream dissolved in your country as well. So uh, right now, uh, it is in the best circumstances, the same level uh, of um, welfare that could provide one working person in the family are now provided in middle class because two two people, uh, two, two parents working. Uh, and the middle class shrinking because uh, poor people class uh, growing because uh, the most of the uh, uh, wealth uh, coming up, redistributed on top. So basically we got bought into idea that started, uh, that were existed in the 60s and already started fade away in the 80s, 90s with your neoliberal reforms. And we bought this outcome from the past 
took your reforms from the present, 80s, 90s, neoliberal reforms, and got when, where we got uh, there. And uh, as a observer, uh, keen observer of American politics, I could say that uh, because in a way we started from scratch and adopted your neoliberal ideology and not in a Reaganist form, more in the Clintonite form. In the 90s, uh, you can see in a way your future. If you imagine, uh, let's say, uh, what would it could like if, which is possible future, by the way, if in two years you have a Republican president, a Republican Congress, both uh, chambers, uh, of course, the Republican Supreme Court, and uh, most importantly, Republican majority in the most uh, states of the country. So uh, you have complete political control. Uh, look forward, like in five, ten years uh, ahead of, if this situation uh, stays, stays static, like like in Russia, because Putin became this Putin right now, not uh, overnight, it was uh, 15 years of transformation. Okay. So imagine uh, 2024, when let's say Trump or DeSantis or whoever else becoming president, you have uh, complete uh, Republican uh, control over the United States. And imagine they imagine managed to keep this. Uh, okay. So this charade with uh, two capitalist parties uh, changed yeah. order. Uh, it stops completely because it became, it was sustainable for decades, but it's becoming unsustainable uh, right now because uh, of the growing level of inequality. It's, it doesn't work, simply doesn't work. So imagine that a Republican managed to keep the White House in 2028, mm -hmm. 2032, and they keep majority uh, each uh, election each cycle in the Congress. In 10 years, uh, you will see what we saw in Russia five years ago. Right. I, you know, for those at home, the American South might actually be a pretty good analog because the Republican Party is in control of the state legislature here onto the future. There's going to be a standing Democratic minority, mostly made up of the Black residents in the South, and it'll only ever get up to 40%, um, and it will never get close to 50%. So it'll always be a standing minority. There's Republican rule at the state legislature. Um, and, and yet, you know, we we kind of just kind of muddle on, pretending that it's going to be competitive. But at the state level, it's not going to be competitive. Well, I, I should say that the Russian scenario, Putin's scenario, is the worst-case scenario. I mean, there is always best-case scenario, worst-case scenario, middle-case. Uh, so I describe in a worst-case scenario that I don't believe for many reasons will work out uh, in your case. So it's that there's something that you should be aware of. So you should understand uh, what you're fighting against. And you should understand that the thing that uh, why this scenario worked out in Russia, because after the fall of the Soviet Union, we have uh, and the shock therapy reforms, we had destroyed economy, we had again destroyed ideology. Uh, so people didn't have uh, an idea what they are here for, what we should strive for, what kind of society we should uh, build right now. So we uh just copy paste the first idea that uh, seemed uh, credible and legitimate and uh, it was a wrong idea to copy paste for uh, simply neoliberalism than american conservatism uh, with uh, when you have uh, oligarchy and uh, cultural conservatism at the same time so it's because russia was in uniquely weak position ideologically 
ideologically uh, like a vacuum ideologically economically and uh, we didn't have any strong democratic institutions that could uh, soften the blow you and we didn't actually put a we didn't so in the reforms in the 90s we didn't push building democratic institutions we pushed privatize some of the state industries create an oligarchic class like I don't remember Clinton and Yeltsin talking about how are we going to build democratic institutions in Russia. I do remember a lot of talk about privatizing some of the state industries. Is that true? Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, but uh, you eroded uh, a lot of your democratic institutions, but you still have uh, capital uh, to waste. Uh, that's 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 uh, the difference with Russia. So we didn't have. Uh, much uh, capital to waste in that sense, so we got to the conservative dictatorship pretty quickly. Uh, you, and on the other hand, I don't believe you will, so I described this, the worst case scenario that uh, Republican dictatorship from top to bottom uh, starting in 2024, which is uh, possible, but at the, at, on the other hand, you have the another of an overlooked factor of the historical process, it's generational change. And you have, uh, as well as we are, uh, your boomer generation dino, and uh, millennials who are in the majority are much more left-leaning, socialist-leaning in their intentions, uh, will become uh, the biggest uh, voting uh, group just because uh, when people getting older, we are getting older as millennials. I'm a millennial. We are voting more, and the older people who are vote more just die off. So less people yeah. to vote on their part. So uh, you have and the problem real quickly. Opposite move. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with assuming a generational change is without democratic institutions, it doesn't really matter how popular you are. You can still be alienated from real power in government because there's no exactly. conduit. Yes. Like you that's, could... that, that's what happened in Russia. That what happened in in war, even worse form in Belarus a year ago when uh, Lukashenko by all means lost the election, and the whole country knows that he lost the election. So there is always uh, levels uh, of bad that uh, people who right now paint in Russia and Putin even Putin's Russia as the ultimate bad. They are completely wrong. Because when I'm saying that Russia is uh, the worst case scenario of uh, USA, uh, Belarus is the worst case scenario of Russia, and it's still it's not the worst case scenario possible even in this day and age. So I'm saying that uh, they were able to completely lose the election. They were able to have uh, opposite uh, opposition candidate uh, Tikhanovsky, not uh, I don't remember her name, Natalia. I don't, I'm not sure uh, yes, uh, who so they have an uh, opposition candidate uh, to coordinate around. They, uh, uh, the whole country knows that she won, that uh, Lukashenko remaining in power is completely illegitimate, but yet he still was able to uh, keep uh, himself in the chair because of a sheer uh, police force simply police force, brutal repression, nothing else. So, of course, of course, uh, uh, electoral uh, ways have their limitations, but I'm saying that American electoral system is much, much stronger than uh, Russian. And the last election with this 
uh, whole stop the steel uh, conundrum. Actually, for me, it was an uh, exciting development because I didn't know how good the system of your voting, counting votes, uh, in this part particularly. I mean, you understand that democracy is not about counting votes uh, only, but this part of your system is um, apparently apparently impeccable. Yes. It was proven by dec- uh, dozens of courts that... Uh, the transition of power. power. We, we yeah. get the transitions of power really well. Like that, that's, yeah, I, I that's, mean, I, I actually wrote an article in Russian uh, right after this uh, whole uh, history, before January 6th, that we should definitely copy your system of uh, electoral system when each uh, state uh, counts the, their votes on their own because they are motivated to count it correctly because it uh, represents their state. Good. Instead of Russian centralized voting system that <laughs> can be controlled from Kremlin. So your system show, uh, demonstrated and proved itself. I didn't know how good it is uh, until Trump uh, and Republican Party put it to the test in 2020. Uh, the, the result they found like a few literally a few examples of voting fraud and uh, almost all of them was on the Republican par- uh, side and uh, almost all of them were ridiculous like uh, a man voted for his wife and himself uh, this kind of stupid voting fraud so uh, it shows me that your system in this part works yeah. well and I right. our votes it- are counted locally and then at the state level and then certified at the state level then sent to national so there are many checks internally to but then that. Most, most, the most important uh, thing that I can deduce from comparison from Russian thing that uh, you don't have a central uh, election uh, electoral office. You right. have uh, dispersed offices uh, yes. in each uh, state of your country. And yes. this thing uh, would work definitely cool for, for Russia because we also in Russia have not all a region of Russia, we call it oblast, uh, similar as your state. Not every oblast in Russia votes similarly. There are more uh, uh, authoritarian uh, oblast, uh, there are more democratic oblast who vote uh, in defiance of Kremlin. But because it's all controlled by the Central Electoral Commission from Moscow, it doesn't really mm-hmm. matter. But if you copy your system, it will work much better because uh, the, uh, the particular state have uh, all the uh, incentive to uh, send their own uh, uh, elected representative, not the representative that was, uh, was uh, dictated from the center. So in that sense, I believe in your democracy much more. So you have a strong electoral system, you have a generational change, you have much uh, better situation in terms of uh, uh, freedom of speech. And it doesn't work uh, well right now because of establishment media. But again, establishment media, they may their main, main audience is uh, boomers. Right. I'm sorry for this word. Uh, but boomers are out of the picture for natural reasons. Uh, the establishment media, they don't have and probably won't have a similar grip uh, onto the next generation, millennials. So they won't be able just transfer their cultural grip uh, onto the next generation because the next generation is already controlled by another source of media like media. Uh, uh, Joe, Joe Rogan, uh, Breaking Points uh, and other yeah. sources of uh, media information, even TikTok. 
which I, I believe TikTok, uh, I see TikTok in a very optimistic view and believe TikTok is much, more, much better than uh, mainstream corporate media. And uh, <laughs> the most important thing, uh, I'm actually serious about it. Uh, no, no. But I'm, I'm not going to make my case right now, maybe sometime <laughs> other, but uh, I believe that... Uh, TikTok for the publish- people. <laughs> yes, TikTok for the future of people. I mean, it's a tool of collectivization that unseen in history. Uh, collective action through TikTok, people. I mean, it's stupid in many ways, but because it's uh, for children. But children will grow up and uh, uh, learn the collective action, will stay with them. I mean, uh, I, I also had very stupid uh, interests when I was uh, 14. I, 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 I had stupid interest when I was 25, so <laughs> I, I, I have no problem with people uh, doing stupid action on TikTok as long as it's collective action and they acting as a generation, which yes. is unseen in the history of humanity. Uh, I'm very pleased by that and I'm very optimistic uh, about that. Oh, well, I made my case about TikTok right now. <laughs> so uh, I'm saying that uh, your cultural institutions, uh, political institutions like uh, corporate media, they have no way to transfer the institutional power to the next generation. So we have these three three facts, uh, generational change, which is necessary, but not enough. You have uh, strong uh, electoral institutes and you have uh, informational change, uh, people, uh, new generation coming with uh, completely new and uncontrolled so far by the corporations, uh, media sources. So you have all uh, the uh, things that need to need to be in place for the best outcome. So Russian scenario is the worst possible scenario. Uh, best possible scenario, as uh, you can guess, is socialist revolution, of course. Right. But for that, you need to build the democratic institutions. Like the, the... No, you have you you have the body. You have the working mechanism of it. I mean, no, but you, like in Russia. Oh, in Russia, yes, I was uh, I was uh, talking about America because I uh, we are talking for American uh, audience and uh, I see Russian example as a case study for America. I mean, yeah. I see American case as a case study for Russia, but that's yeah. what I'm talking about in Russian audience. Uh, for you, yeah. I want to transfer uh, knowledge in the different uh, in the opposite direction. So. I'm talking about uh, the worst case scenario as Russia being the worst case scenario to point out your strong sides, your weak sides, your strong sides. And uh, the probably optimistic outcome that we definitely collectively as a humanity should strive for because, uh, I mean, without uh, uh, left-wing socialist uh, revolution, I mean, uh, not literally violent revolution, democratic revolution, does doesn't matter because the word revolution means radical change of the formation. Without socialist uh, revolution of the West, uh, it's not possible to uh, create so, uh, sustainable socialist revolution for the rest of the world. We tried it a uh, hundred years ago. It uh, turned out ugly because under Western pressure, we went from the uh, relatively soft and nice uh, Lenin's uh, new economic politics map to the to the Stalinism, which was definitely harsh, but it also was conditioned uh, by the situation that we have to uh, oppose to the uh, colonial power of the West that was bent over to bent uh, help bent to uh, destroy this uh, experiment. Yes. So it, it it made a Soviet Union as militant as it was, 
unnecessary militant. Yeah. And this time we have a uh, much better historical circumstances to yeah. go over uh, past capitalism in much more uh, peaceful and democratic way because the conditions on the West uh, okay, good. Uh, right now are much better. So I, I, I'm making uh, so much po uh, point on uh, your conditions because I see the conditions for the socialist revolution uh, in a good sense, uh, post-capitalism revolution, let's say, so not to scare off some audience uh, too much, uh, post-capitalist revolution that are, well, I just listed them, very ready in uh, USA, very ready in Europe, and that uh, gives me the most hope for the future, uh, let's say, Russia, because right now, uh, we don't uh, there, it's a big lie uh, coming back to the beginning of our conversation it's a big lie uh, to expect that the ch regime change in russia even if it was possible right now even if it happened somehow and somehow peacefully like uh com complete regime change in russia and free election and Navalny wins as a president and, and so on would uh, drastically change the situation because the problem uh, the situation in Russia is the uh, we have the same in Russia where is thin it rips so uh, Russia and this part of the world is the thinnest part of the because of weak uh, democratic institutions thinnest part part of the neoliberal world order so it easily rips into violence. Oh, yes. uh, but it's but it's the same it's the same fabric all over the place all over the planet so, so it rips the... real, real quick so what you're suggesting is the sanctions that we're levering right now might actually be culturally regressive and and actually retrench or make stronger the the wrong kind of nationalism that's anti-democratic in russia because well, that's uh, that's what they do already, and uh, this is this is not like a sudden turn of events, uh, because uh, neoliberal policies, uh, unchecked neoliberal policies, are um, uh, eventually undemocratic because they lead to growing inequality, and growing inequality destroys democracy. Because you can have, as I started, uh, democracy is a very simple concept. It's very hard to implement, but it's a very simple concept, and one of the two rules. Uh, it's uh, one uh, person equals one voice and you can have equality of voice if you don't have equality of uh, or at least a comparable quality of uh, income if you have one people uh, three people control uh, same uh, <laughs> same wealth as uh, 50 percent of the people so three people and uh, 170 million people you have three people uh, three voices equal uh, 170 million voices so you so uh, neoliberal policies eventually they are undemocratic. They uh, lead to undemocratic outcomes. Uh, neoliberal politics of the 90s was culturally liberal, but it was also economically liberal, and it led to Putinism. And uh, cultural illiberalism of Putinism is just a cover for the late stage of capitalism when you have to cover the growing inequality and point out direction of the people uh, to somewhere else, to gay people, to West, to transgenders and so on. So it's all a natural progression uh, of the neoliberalism that built on the growing inequality. It's undemocratic progression. And uh, when you have 
uh, inequality passing a certain point, you can uh, even yeah, cultural means, even cultural means uh, are are enough to sustain the system. And as this is the point when you go to fascism and you literally need to brown shorts to beat the workers so the to keep them in place so uh, cultural wars are not enough you need literally pinkertons and uh, brown shorts to keep uh, status quo in place so we had this in russia already and right now neoliberal assault from the west uh, this economic warfare it doesn't change just much it just accelerates the process so russia from the light proto-fascism of 2020 uh, now going into hard uh, that swastika fascism of 2022 but it's not like we change direction we were going in that direction with the whole world we're going in the same direction as america it's just because of this uh, economic assault and uh, yes. cu- cultural uh, and economic ostracism of russia uh, it accelerated, but again, you you don't look at Russia as something that divert from from your course of history. You mm-hmm. look at the future of your course of history because mm-hmm. even if somehow it will be impossible, it won't work. Uh, I believe that uh, neoliberalism in historic terms, not like in years, but in maybe mm-hmm. decade or so, is close to an end. But even if you somehow were able to completely separate yourself from Russia, like said it in, in another dimension, you wouldn't separate it, uh, yourself from the problem that is in your system. Exactly. So in, 10 year, in 10 years, you would have a 2016 kind of proto-fascism Russian in America, in uh, Germany, in uh, France. And in 10 years later, uh, you have 2020 Russia in USA. So it will be, uh, it accelerated in Russia, but it doesn't mean that Russia is going different way. It's going the same way as the rest of the world under neoliberal world order, but much faster. And you can, uh, and I believe that one of the reasons why the neoliberal elites trying to divorce themselves from the uh, Russia so fast, it's kind of Dorian Great kind of situation. They are afraid uh, to look at their own picture because they see what they've done. Uh, so- I, I hope you, you got the reference. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm just thinking about the internal kind of cancer that neoliberalism kind of imparts. You see, fully metastasized. It's, it's 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 inequality. It's as simple as that. It's uh, it's all boiled down to economics. Uh, economics. Uh, the economics boils down to equality or inequality of outcomes. So we all put the relatively same amount of uh, labor in the economic outcome i mean some people more talented some people less talented some yeah. people uh, more lazy some people more productive that's all true but we all still have, have the we have our differences on which uh, the conservatives point out correctly but our difference are human differences so on a human level i can produce uh, at best maybe uh, best worker could produce uh, best star in any kind of production could produce like 10 times more uh, outcome than 100 times more outcome than the worst worker uh, less productive member of society but it's still not million times right so you can find a million times difference and, and you just need to the take problem. Right. well you got to take seriously that you can't have a functioning democracy with like 
with inequality that is predatory. Yes, and that yeah. and that and, and that uh, everything comes from that. So the base is basically we all collectively work. We produce collective uh, economics is a result of our collective labor, uh, but it when how you distribute the fruits of this labor is matters. Uh, more equal uh, the distribution, uh, it's still maybe unequal on a personal level, like uh, a bottom uh, line worker might t- uh, take 10 times lesser wage than a top yeah. executive, right? But not uh, 10 million times, yeah, not 100 not times. That, not that million times. More equal yeah. is this, uh, then more equal your relationship in the society and uh, closer to democratic you are because there is no people who... Uh, uh, may have ungodly amount of control over uh, social relations. Uh, further going down economically in a redistribution, more unequal uh, redistribution, more unequal uh, relation, immediate relationships, then it gets uh, exacerbated through generational wealth. When you started off the, the different positions in society, sometimes incomparable positions in the society, and also translates into the, into political institutions. So you have like. 10 people or 1% of the people who have uh, 90% of representation and 90% of the people who have 1% of representation. And also, so it's, it's quite a straight line if you understand the steps from the uh, economic inequality, how it goes down to fascism. I have a democracy. question. So you said that even in Belarus is like even a darker example of the alienation between- well, worst, case, worst case scenario of Russia, yes. <laughs> so, you're suggesting it really doesn't matter if the people support the special operation. If the oligarch well, support, does it like how I mean, responsive does Putin have to be to like the masses? Well, uh, the thing is that special operation became possible exactly because uh, for, uh, for the last 20, 25 years, they were built a system that completely unresponsive to population, but uh, it was built for last 26, 27 years. It all started, I mean, I can lay down the history, my milestones for you. So 1991, Soviet Union um, dissolves, 1992, shock therapy and uh, first reforms. 1995. Real quickly, when you talk about shock therapy, you thought you talk about the ideological backing. Uh, uh, no, I'm talking about economic liberation of prices without uh, <laughs> without any kind of uh, any type of support. support for poor. Yeah. So inequality started like uh, right there. So in 1995, there was a loan for shares scheme that created oligarchs, and it was uh, the class of oligarchy was created in Russia with explicit uh, goal to help. Uh, President Yeltsin win this uh, his second term in 1996 because this uh, shock therapy, of course, it shocked Russian population. They saw that uh, well, they were expected like uh, house in suburbia, own car, one man working, and uh, whole family happy, like in uh, old TV shows. Yeah. Instead of that, uh, they uh, got up in poverty. That was. Uh, so they got the assortments in the uh, magazine, uh, in the supermarkets, but no money to afford anything, any of it. So uh, rating of Yeltsin was extremely low 
It was extremely high on the hopes when in 1992, it was extremely low in 1995. Okay. They were losing, they were afraid of losing. Uh, there is no way to check right now uh, were they losing or not really, but they were afraid, legitimately afraid of losing the presidency second term to communist leader Gennady Zyuganov, uh, who was, uh, well, he was no Stalin, let's say. I mean, he was no danger, uh, actually, to return of the worst times of the Soviet uh, regime. Uh, but they were afraid and they created the class of uh, big property owners, oligarchs, with explicit uh, goal. They should fight for the property. And in order to fight for the property, they should fight against communists, uh, communist back in power. So they prop up our uh, Yeltsin's regime. And that would have been what has been done. So and that was quality, what that was with the support yeah. of us, right? Or did we? Because oh uh, yeah, well, of course, it was, uh, intellectual support, uh, roadmaps, uh, ideas, how it's supposed to be done, uh, economic ideas, neoliberalism. It was uh, heavily provided by Clinton's administration, and yeah, I don't yeah. say that it was in any kind of. Uh, malevolent doing because uh, they uh, they provided us with the best shit they they, they got the same uh, policies that they implemented in uh, united states of america so the intention was the best the policies were scrappy once so uh you but that's why i'm saying that you're looking into your future because the same policies that were implemented in the united states, your country was implemented in my country but we have just uh, so much worse starting point so we got to the bed and worst outcome much closer and much further than you are, but we are going to trajectory. So uh, first, so you can see that uh, regime- In 1995, you have the loan even, for shares even, program. Even, even, even pre-Putin's regime was yeah. created with explicit uh, goal to divorce majority of people from power because majority of people in 1996 would elect a communist president. Majority of people in 1995, Duma elections, parliamentary elections, elected majority of communist uh, party. Oh. So, yeah, yes, uh, so in 1995, we had a majority communist party with uh, Yeltsin president, as president in his second term. Okay. So they have the next step of the project, of the liberal project in Russia, was to fight communists in parliament. So they managed to keep presidency which was important because uh, Russia by constitution is a super presidential republic, so Manchki presidency with the help of newly created oligarchs from communists, but they still have defined a uh, positional uh, largely leftist uh, parliament. So mm -hmm. in 1999 was another election when there was an uh, anti-communist party created that was uh, later became uh, one Russian party that like right now dominant uh, party. And uh, you can say that anti-democratic project it was an anti-democratic project from the beginning from the 1995 because uh, they saw that democracy pure democracy when majority gets to vote they of course justified like majority is stupid they don't know what they need they don't know what they want but uh, no matter the justification when you say that you know better than the majority you become an authoritarian even if you dresses up with, with gay rights and and so on so uh, this uh, this whole whole cultural liberal agenda will be washed off by economical circumstances really quick anyway so uh, it doesn't uh, really much use of it so uh, it was explicitly anti-democratic projects from the beginning but it was an oligarchic project uh, oligarchs 
chosen uh, destroyed popular uh, you'd say populist uh, candidate one of the populist candidates uh, to be successor of Yeltsin uh, Boris Nemtsov who was killed later in 2015 uh, they destroyed him through controlled uh, by oligarchy media so maybe sounds familiar yeah, kind of he was no socialist by no means but it can be a Bernie Sanders situation uh, oligarchs control media, they destroyed uh, uh, more populist, uh, although still liberal, but more populist candidate like Boris Nemtsov. They chosen, uh, one of the fractions chosen Putin as a successor, uh, the like, empty vessel for their will, completely empty vessel. He was, uh, he was no ideological, he was no politician, he had no prior ideas how Russia should be, so they thought this is <laughs> They thought they thought this is the great, uh, the best option for them, so they could rule uh, through Putin. That was the great greatest mistake because uh, you can when you put. Uh, I'll explain later why, but it was the greatest mistake. They thought that the ideologically empty head, like person who have no uh, prior understanding, idea, I wanna, I wanna stupid one. I want to uh, force you to be clear on this. So you're saying that Putin in the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, not ideologically committed to anything except, and that's why he was picked. He was picked because- Exactly. I mean, he was parroting uh, liberal talking points, but again, he was parroting them uh, being former KGB agent, not because he was committed <laughs> to liberalism, but because uh, everyone around him, uh, his bosses, people yeah. who he worked for the last 10 years was to, uh, saying this. So he believed in this, like before he believed in communism. Uh, this is uh, important stuff that uh, people from um, uh, secret services, like KGB, CIA, any kind of services, services like that, and uh, they are inherently undemocratic because people who work there, they are mandatory, uh, ideologless even they if they work for ideological government like u.s government or soviet government they uh, should not believe in any ideology in order to execute the job because uh, oftentimes what they do in the work like cia does like egb did is goes against any kind of values that uh, declared by the government so you have to have people in this job you it's, it's the kind of the job that selects people who have no ideological stream, even wrong in a stupid ideological beliefs. They don't should not have anything. So oligarchs saw the opportunity, so they saw this empty vessel who will just parrot the talking points of the of his bosses in Putin, and they installed him. So the first uh, first stage of Putinism, pre-Putinism, Yeltsinism was already anti-democratic, explicitly anti-democratic because uh, explicitly because uh, I mean dem dem democratic, democratic will was clear uh, to take back uh, unfair uh, privatization, uh, roll roll it back uh, and uh, restart it, and uh, not to let oligarchy thrive. So. First uh, stage of the project, first 10 years, 1995-2004-2003 was oligarchic stage. It was already anti-democratic, but oligarchs were still in power. But then when they put Putin in power, the choice and psychological level uh, played a cruel joke with, cruel, cruel joke with them because uh, 
put yourself on a second uh, in the shoes of the person who was not remarkable by any stretch of imagination, who rec quite recently, I believe, said that in the 90s, in the lowest point of his career, he was thinking of becoming a taxi driver, like uh, Uber, but uh, like free taxi driver. There yeah, was no yeah. Uber. I was just rolling around on roads and taking passengers for Ubers, uh, right? So now imagine any typical taxi driver from your city and imagine this uh, president, get uh, this person getting uh, unlimited presidential power in dictatorship like Russia. And uh, imagine what kind of ideas he's gonna get. So, of course, Putin <laughs> very, very, very quickly, very quickly acquired uh, the chosen one complex. Because, uh, again, he never was political. He uh, didn't uh, show any, even stupidest, even wrong ideas of how country or world should be. Right. And in spite of that, he became the person on par with not only Boris Yeltsin, but with the in uh, Soviet gangsters, with Russian Tsars, he got to continue their line. So wow. from the Ivan the Terrible, through the Peter the Great, uh, through Lenin, through Stalin, and then comes Vladimir Putin. So <laughs> with no ideological commitments about how government now, now, work. when you real when you realize it, it takes time to realize it's like you know getting weight. You first you get weight, then you realize that you got actually got fat. It takes years to actually realize it. Uh, I'm talking from my experience. So it took years to, to realize. It, it took. Uh, uh, don't worry, I lost weight again uh, many years ago. So it's, it's, it's good and fine for me. But it was uh, actually nice uh, experience to understand that uh, your immediate physical change in your reality and uh, your mental adaptation and recognition of it. It's uh, two different uh, condition, uh, states that uh, may separate, be separate from each other for years. And in uh, Putin's example, we see that uh, getting in power, actual power and realization that he get to continue this uh, majestic line of leaders of Russia, from the last uh, at least 600 years and be the only one uh, for this time being leader of Russia, it took uh, some time. But uh, when uh, he realized that, uh, how he could justify it? Uh, probably the idea was chosen by the higher power because there is nothing in his life, uh, in his actions that would lead to him, he was chosen. But of course not by oligarchs, uh, but higher power. So, uh, he couldn't be beholden to oligarchs anymore. He couldn't, uh, he started acting like he was a chosen one in the Tsarist terms, so chosen by the God. And he started acting accordingly. And in 2003, there was, there was first separation uh, of his power from the oligarchic power when the biggest of them all, fattest of the woman, Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who controlled 20 billions uh, worth of wealth at the, at the time, was uh, arrested for 10 years and uh, since then uh, and it took time uh, approximately 10 to 15 times when the economic uh, economical power of the oligarchs that led putin in power was completely divorced from political power and right now if you can say that uh, broad Russian uh, population didn't have any power, political power uh, over Russia for decades, 
oligarchy doesn't have political power uh, over Russia, any political power, also for years, for many years right now. Really? So, so yes, yeah, so right now, uh, those people, uh, they, yeah, I, uh, I can, uh, I cannot name any oligarch or group of oligarchs who would uh, have any reasonable power over Vladimir Putin and his decisions because, uh, for the reasons, because he, the first, he was cutting off them from power since 2003 when he arrested uh, the strongest of them. Khodorkovsky put him in prison, but it was still uh, part of the oligarchic uh, infighting. So some oligarch, uh, oligarchs got eaten, but another oligarch like Abramovich got stronger of it. So, so what do, how do the oligarchs handle the sanctions? How are they? Are they... I mean, they're oligarchs, so like they'll be rich no matter what. But do are are they causing trouble, or is Putin completely emancipated from them too now? Well, that's exactly what I'm talking about because sanctions uh, came about in two waves. And first wave was after uh, annexation of Crimea in 2014, when the first oligarchs was mildly hit by sanctions outside of Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Putin said, it was explicitly said to them, but it was uh, translated as a message that everything that you lose outside of Russia will be compensated in you for you inside of Russia through uh, uh, broader distribution of assets, uh, more governmental contracts and so on. So, and again, it was like it was in 2000, in 2000 when they elected Putin. It was like a bargain with the devil. So uh, on the one hand, they got compensated from this uh, mild hit of the sanctions. Some some of oligarchs like uh, Jerry Paska were hit stronger, some of them uh, were hit weaker, but uh, they were compensated in Russia, so all good. But on the other hand, the very fact that they, they were compensated by the government for the sanctions uh, only increased their dependence on the government. So okay. they understand because of sanctions they understood already then that their wealth is uh, very much dependent on the russian government and right now when they're getting uh, and at the moment they already didn't have much uh, political power and right now when they've been completely cut off and thro- thrown out uh, from the western markets and their property and their rights being limited uh, I mean, they still find they still uh, fly all, all over the place. So it's not like they've been um, in any way uh, really punished. But their power, of course, being reduced, and they realize that any any uh, chance for the good life and uh, exceptional life of privilege that left for them that lies within Putin's regime and personally Vladimir Putin, because they they. <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so if anything, I mean, it's twofold. First of all, they don't have many years, they don't have any actual power over Putin or influence over Putin. They simply don't. But even if they did, the actions of the West that were made to like make them influence Putin in some way, the actions in the West actually scared them off under the Putin's wing. Because uh, what, well, what else they would do? Because the West said, no, we don't like you there, we don't want to see you there. So, okay, uh, and again, any kind of compensation for the losses, 
but still uh, having to keep their power and lifestyle and pre any uh, privilege uh, right now completely in the power of Putin. So okay. it's, uh, I mean, I don't oh. understand. Uh, I mean, Sorry. I understand why it's a, it's a different uh, conversation, but I understand why West acting so stupid and reactionary, but it is uh, stupid and reactionary. I mean, their justification, we should punish oligarchs so they, they what? I mean, there is no like second step in this <laughs> <They> project. <laughs> right. Uh, so what? No, it, I mean, yeah. real quick, it's allowed Putin to consolidate power because now the oligarchs have nowhere to turn, um, except under his, under his authority. The now, now his now now his power actually being propped out. Uh, propped out from outside because he got control uh, over Russian Russian state for the yeah. last twenty years, but uh, simultaneously because of the growing corruption and the quality, Russian state institutions were decaying. So the quality of the government control over the economics and politics was slowly decaying. But because of the economic, political, and cultural blockade uh, around Russia, uh, it gets like exoskeleton reinforced from outside because again anyone who wish uh, anything uh, reminding uh, previous status quo to keep in Russia right now don't have any escape but to Putin because they understand that with uh, this uh, iron curtain around Russia uh, there is uh, if Putin falls everything falls so okay. there will be no help for them uh, from outside because they already outcasters from the outside and there certainly will be no sympathy for them from the inside because people uh, of russia are politically unrepresented but uh, the hate for the ruling class is immense so uh, and they, so i have a question about uh i have a question about people's relationship to putin have they just given up fighting and just assume well he's our guy we can't we can't contest him so we might as well just love him <laughs> as our as our dictator like is there any of that going on or well i would say there are uh, two opposite poles of okay. uh, love putin hate putin and it's uh, all that matter and how the spectrum uh, uh, center of the weight is moving between those poles so uh, there is a love putin of course uh, segment it's uh, roughly similar in electoral terms to your core trump base it's around 30 percent i believe it's uh, also similar in terms of age and gender to trump base 30 percent and uh, older people they formed uh, parasocial relationships uh, with uh, putin and people in power for the last 20 years because uh, of the uh quality work of russian propaganda so putin and some other names like minister of defense the secretary of defense shoigu and other people in power who were in front of their eyes uh, for the last 20 years on the tv screens uh they formed very strong parasocial relationship with them and they uh it's uh to uh say that they did something wrong something inhumane or installing something in order to enrich themselves or kill something or poison something or start a war is like uh, to blame your closest relative right so this uh, and again you see this dynamic uh, playing out with trump so this kind of uh, people they are lost 
not because they are bad people, but because right. they are got into this net. Right. Uh, there is uh, another poll is uh, never Putin, never Putiners. You have never Trumpers, we have never Putiners. Uh, same deranged liberals as yours. Uh, they right now professional class, elite, like professional class, college educated, but uh, kind of snobby. Don't like working global, class people. Uh, they call themselves uh, global Russians, global Russians. Yeah. Uh, mo yeah. Most most of most of them are right now uh, not global Russians. They are now foreign Russians because most of them are now outside of Russia. Almost oh. none of them in, inside of Russia right now. The last big wave of uh, immigration exodus is going on right now, and uh, that's the people who are saying the world is black and white right now. There is uh, only good and evil, and the evil, of course, uh, Russia. They sometimes correct themselves and say that not that Russia is Putin and Putin's regime, but by the policies they support you, which are anti-Russian policies like complete economic blockade, you can mm -hmm. say, and uh, the good side, how do they find the good side? They define the good side as the West. So the West mm -hmm. is the good, the West is the uh, Knights of Gondor. Uh, with uh, Aragorn and uh, so on, and Russia, and Russia, and Russia complete murder, and we uh, are about to have our last fight in the gate of in the gates of murder. So the same, uh, it's black and white right now. So and uh, if you see who's white on the white side and the sides of the Gondor, uh, you see it's uh, the West. So West nice. have no sins. West have no sin. West have no problems on their own. And of course, mm -hmm. Russia by the logic of this uh, black and white comparison goes into murder state so we are all orcs uh, so that's uh, by the way these uh, people love Zelensky they love Zelensky <laughs> they think Zelensky is some sort of I have, uh, no, I have no problem with Zelensky I uh, actually respect uh, Ukraine, Ukrainian democracy because they managed to elect their own presidents and uh, they have their own problems of course but at least they managed to change presidents for different That's ones. That's true. Uh, better than Belarus. And, uh, and, and better than Russia. And uh, I don't say that I agree with uh, Zelensky on political level, ideologically, but uh, when you have changing pres bad presidents, it's uh, right. better than never changing good president. So, right. so it's it, not, Zelensky is not the problem here. I mean, uh, it's it's a this is Zelensky's thirst is a, maybe a bit cringy, but uh, that's not even like the hundreds of the big problems of the world right now. So, uh, actually, Zelensky, I would say, quite a good guy. I'm not sure I can say it. Uh, living in Russia right now. I'm pretty well, sure yeah, there is a lot. That, that, that I have a question about you. Have you ever been to Minsk? Have you been to Minsk? Uh, I fled. Uh, I've been in Ukraine actually. I uh, traveled through Ukraine. I've been in Kiev. I've been in Kharkov. That right now uh, sieged by Russians. I've been in Chernigov. That uh, occupied by Russians. So, uh, and I was flying through Belarus uh, one or twice. So never been on the on the land of Belarus. Because the idea is that under Putin's regime. The Ukraine would become another Belarus. Um, possibly, possibly not. I don't believe it. Uh, it ever was possible that um, 
Ukraine would uh, just uh, fall un under any uh, occupying power. I mean, right. they ousted uh, pro-Putin's candidates twice. Right. In 2004, first Maidan, 2014, when right. he was already a president. So first they ousted, I mean, Yanukovych, the former president, is probably the biggest political loser in history because first he was ousted as a candidate. He almost right. won in 2014. But then uh, there was Maidan, and third round of election was held, and he lost. Yeah. Then, a year later, he finally won the president, became a president, and yet he didn't manage to keep this term and yeah. was ousted as a president sec for the second time. Yeah. I mean, the idea that uh, he could be reinstalled the third time is ridiculous. <laughs> the, the, the idea that Ukraine could be uh, taken under control by any foreign power uh, that uh, doesn't really uh, literally go full Nazi Germany on them with the uh, full occupation <laughs> uh, uh, and enslavement uh, okay. the population with this explicit goal so like literally Nazi Germany not this uh, stupid uh, liberal comparison with Nazi Germany like got right now right. without this level of commitment and uh, murderous intent there is no chance that Ukraine will be subjugated it uh, uh, the worst case scenario for them, really worst case, maybe even worse than Belarus, is actually being destroyed like Libya. Oh, uh, failed, okay. failed, failed state. So because that's what it would, will, that's what it would take. They're not going. No, I mean, to I mean, if I mean, uh, in order to completely subjugate them, you need to invade a force comp uh, with the intent and power of uh, Nazi Germany, forced in right. 1941. Uh, with a smaller force, but. Uh, equally cruel intent, you can turn them into the a failed state like Libya or Ethiopia, uh, turn, turn them into the state of uh, constant civil war. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think, happily so, that uh, this is a real threat for them. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm saying that the Belarus scenario is never the option for them because the main problem with the, this Belarus scenario, because Belarus scenario wasn't implemented from outside. Okay. It grew out from the internal conditions. Like uh, Putin, if uh, if uh, USA or whoever else or even China would try to implement Putin from outside, we would never have Putin's regime. We would have anything but Putin's regime. But he grew out from inside the Russia, from our conditions, even even influenced by the outside forces. But uh, it was influenced by outside forces. But the conditions were our own, and, and he grew up inside of Russia. Lukashenko grew up to power inside of. Uh, inside of Belarus. Uh, so Ukrainians on, could only have uh, any government, good or bad, that will uh, grew up uh, from inside the Ukrainian uh, situation. It could be, conditions of this situation could be influenced by Russia and by the West, mm -hmm. but it couldn't be just uh, put into power any kind of mm -hmm. leader. So Russia in any kind of circumstances, even the, the best kind of circumstances as Putin probably imagined, uh we have uh, couldn't uh, implement the belarus scenario for ukraine it's impossible because belarus scenario wasn't implemented for belarus in the first place it grew up from belarusian conditions so ukraine a different country and uh, they have uh, the worst case scenario for them is a uh, continuous uh ongoing never-ending war yeah. that uh, separate part of the country 
from them, uh, but uh, any kind of peace will not be as Belarusian Belar peace. But it still might be good or bad, it, uh, because uh, uh, as much as reactionary forces from the West led to reactionary outcome in Russia in terms of Putin regime, Russia being uh, in turn these reactionary forces lead leads right now to reactionary outcome in Ukraine. And the West uh, doesn't help that much. I mean, again, uh, I'm just on a personal level not comfortable talking about Ukraine because they're in state of war. Right. So any kind of criticizing them on the in the state of war. So it's, it's more of a worry for me right. that uh, behind this all liberal excitement around uh, Ukrainian resistance and resilience, which is, uh, of course, a very great thing for in terms of national building. But behind this all excitement, uh, that's the thing that worries me that uh, all conditions, outside conditions, both assault from Russia and support from West, which is the worst of this, both of them uh, lead to stronger reactionary outcomes. So okay. Russia assaults Ukraine. That's uh, unfortunately the fact. It leads to reactionary outcomes. But support from the West also reinforces reactionary forces inside of Ukraine. So there is no... Uh, there is more more peaceful outcome for them, less peaceful outcome for them, but uh, no matter how it goes, they will be much more right on the spectrum in in coming years. All right, so it's suggested by right, it's suggested by our leadership that the sanctions won't be lifted until Putin is removed <laughs> internally. That's that's what Biden is suggesting. I don't know. And I've heard it from other people in Washington that these sanctions are here to stay until Putin steps down or the people remove him. And I don't see that happening. So are the sanctions felt as an attack against the Russian people or are they felt as an attack against uh, Putin or is there really a difference between those two? Uh, you don't have to. I mean, when there was those leaks in New York Times, like uh, oh, this guy Niall Ferguson, I believe, or maybe I'm confusing, on, in Bloomberg wrote that uh, he got his scoop from Biden administration that they are really intended to regime change in Russia. Uh, from my uh, view, uh, you, I didn't need the scoop. I mean, it was obvious from the beginning what they are leading for, what they are aiming uh, for because uh, Russia is just, um, I mean, it's a pattern of behavior that goes uh, back in history for decades. That's true. It's just that the targets grow in bigger, so you have relatively small Cuba, North Korea for 70 years now, bigger Cuba and closer Cuba for 60 years, much bigger Iran for 40 years. And now mm -hmm. you have a uh, very big Russia. So the pattern stays the same. Once sanctions, uh, political sanctions are implemented, they are staying. Right. It's just uh, the target getting uh, bigger and closer to the motherland uh, metropolitan imperial center of the West. But the, mm, uh, they just, and it always goes the same. So they implement sanctions with the state goal of the, this outcome desire their outcome never comes and they like shut the door and don't look uh, this way 
uh, anywhere, uh, anytime further. So just shut the door and forget about it. And they can shut the door uh, on uh, Cuba. They can shut the door on, on North Korea. It's much harder to shut the door on the Iran. They trying, but it's still uh, firing back. Uh, they tried it, uh, it's still firing back. They can't erase U Iran. And now they're trying to shut the door on Russia, and they didn't learn the lesson before. It's impossible to shut the door on Russia, not because of the Russia, but because of the place that Russia occupies in the international relationships, uh, because of the much broader dynamics like the rise of the China, rise of the India, and the uh, whole world uh, tiredness with the Western dominance. So you weren't able, West, weren't able to shut the door even on Iran. They, but they didn't learn the lesson because uh, the, the uh, difference of the power was big enough to ignore Iran, uh, don't notice Iran internally, don't allow Iran to affect their domestic uh, situation. Right now, they aren't able to do this with Russia. Oil prices are uh, growing and so on. And still, I don't overestimate the power of Russia or influence of Russia on the domestic situation in the West because, of course, uh, the uh, sizes of our economies are incomparable. But uh, right. the fact of the matter that they already feel small, relatively small pain inside, they will manage it, they will uh, do things, so they will diminish this pain. But uh, broader influence of Russia and the fact of, uh, that uh, propels by the fact of existing of Russia and place that occupies geographically and politically and historically they weren't wouldn't be ever able to contain it and uh, it might be actually the final uh, shot to the leg of the neoliberal world order but what i'm saying that they were acting for decades the same way and it was only expected that they will act uh, the same way with russia uh, was expected for me as a person who studies it studies history for years uh, for decades really but for Russian people at large, or for Russian uh, elites, it also was uh, maybe not every one of them would uh, put this uh, as eloquently. Uh, some of them would maybe uh, provide wrong, in my view, justification for it. But uh, the broader consensus in Russian elites would be exactly the same that if uh, sanctions will come, they will come for staying. Because uh, again, we're not blind. We see Libya, we see Iran, we see uh, North Korea. And uh, it might hurt people's feelings to be in the same league of uh, North Korea uh, or Iran, because uh, it was uh, sold us to, as outcasts from the polite society, global society. Uh, but once we are put in this league against our will, we can see uh, how it works, and uh, of course, it uh, it uh, put us in the warlike uh, situation. Elites, everyone, uh, really in Russia, because um, it's not only Putin's propaganda. In a way, Putin's propaganda came true. It became self-fulfilling prophecy because okay. he was acting for twenty years like West uh, hellbent to destroy Russia. And he was uh, preparing uh, Russian people to act on that. Right <laughs> now, actually helped them to destroy Russia, and you could uh, not explain or justify it in any other way. Sometimes more stupid people or more uh, 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 when the guard is low, people uh, say it quite part out loud. 
more uh, like smart people are trying to uh, blanket it, uh, cover it even from themselves to wipe this thing out, but it's definitely going on. And if you read not statements of the people, let's say in articles or videos on YouTube, but the comments to these articles or posts on Facebook, people uh, who support the statements of the leaders, they say in the quiet part out loud that the goal is to erase Russia in any way from the human history. I mean, and uh, it's emotional reaction. I don't think that they are as Putin sold it for us, uh, like born Russophobics and so on. I mean, it's stupid. But uh, the emotional reaction, completely emotional. They didn't have mostly them a year ago. But the emotional reaction on the current events is uh, so that it justifies all that bullshit that Putin and Putin's regime was selling to Russian people for 20 years. And right now, uh, people who don't follow politics closely, so majority, total majority of population in any country, they see, okay, we saw, we heard like uh, somewhere that West doesn't like Russia, but we didn't pay much attention to it. Maybe it was all bullshit, whatever, whatever, politics, uh, we follow politics. And right now, opa, we see this. Uh, West literally cuts Russia in every possible way cuts financially, cuts uh, products, cuts uh, supply chains, fires people from tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are now affected by the right. Western companies withdrawing their operations. Right. So yeah, people yeah. see it, they go in, in the malls and see that half of the stores are closed now. Right. They they see that uh, uh, Visa and these are people who uh, And these are people who every day don't really think about politics don't really think about uh, yes, exactly but uh, the western assault economic uh, warfare with russia uh, hit those kind of people so right. those kind of people uh, they were oblivious to relationships with russia and the west and judging by the uh, shops and the kind of shopping they could afford that kind of uh, goods they had access kind of uh, tourist destinations they yeah. uh, could uh, travel to uh, David judging and uh, fairly uh, so that uh, West and Russia are good between themselves. Mm-hmm. Right now, everything, uh, this is exactly the things like uh, type of goods, type of interactions, uh, Western movies and so on being cut. So again, judging by this very, very regular everyday stuff, they see that uh, West and Russia is against each other. And okay. uh, of course, people start start wondering what what's going on, and uh, only basically only narrative dominant narrative that uh, uh, accessible to them is the dominant narrative that was building up for twenty years because every major paper in Russia, every uh, central federal paper or regional paper, every major TV channel, every major uh, original uh, radio station. They are all uh, saying this narrative that West are uh, out there to get us, to destroy us. They didn't pay attention not Putin, for that. Most you, of the not Putin. We're not out. That is a narrative. We're out to destroy Putin, or we're out to destroy you. No, no. It's the uh, media controlled by Kremlin. 
Putin. Right, so right. of course, media, media on every level, uh, the control of uh, media, mass media in Russia total on regional level, on federal level, okay. TV stations, radio stations, major uh, news resources. Yes, they all uh, for 20 years, no, not for 20, but for at least 15 years, at least for 15 years straight, they're saying that the test is out there to destroy us. Yeah. But people, most of the people, everyday people, didn't pay much attention to it, of course, right. for the last 15 years. But now because they can't there was, because, because... because there was no reason for this. Right. Life was going on as usual. Right. Now, when life is uh, drastically changing over, like, overnight, literally overnight in some cases, they take it personal. They are looking for, they are, they are looking for, for they are starting, listen, and looking for us. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, are we at war? And uh, every any uh, 99% of the message that affordable to them, accessible to them, is exactly that message that West is uh, out there for, to get us. It's just for the last 15 years that it didn't because life was relatively well okay going on. Right now they started to listen and they starting to hear. And they're starting to hear exactly this message because the, the ears right now is open. So okay. in a way, West forced people to pay attention to the political situations, but they didn't realize that people are right now paying attention to political situation. They won't uh, listen what people say on MSNBC or Deutsche Welle. <laughs> they would hear what uh, being told to them on the Russian Первый канал, first channel. Right. And favorite Putin's uh, newspaper. And right. So they got Russian people attention, but they got it attention <laughs> for Russian propaganda. Right. So right now, so I mean, you, you see, it's actually quite simple. No, no, I, I like the idea that, yes, the sanctions definitely got Russian people's attentions, but we don't control the content of the interpretation. You don't, you don't control the narrative, and the attention <laughs> uh, goes to the Kremlin narrative. Kremlin narrative is uh, the West is uh, out there to get us to destroy Russia, and now the people first they are ready to listen, and second, everything that they see outside of uh, them in the reality is actually proven this because uh, yes, West is many ways explicitly against Russia and would like to see Russia like cut off from the Earth and called sent to another dimension. Yeah. Like, like uh, already summoning Doctor Strange to cast the spell and set and set yeah. to the other dimension. This is the last big Hollywood movie that we get. So, if you if you talk to the people in Washington about this, they'll tell you, no, 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 we don't have a problem with the Russian people. We have a problem with the leadership. We have a problem with Putin. So they shouldn't take the sanctions as an attack against them and their livelihood. They should take it as a spur or some sort of um, something to get them to remove uh, their leadership. But since we don't control the, the actual interpretation. Well, Irani, I mean, as a, as a regular uh, guest on Rising and uh, Breaking Points, you are well aware that your own political establishment lives in the bubble and they don't hear your own American people, what they need, what they want, what they think so they completely divorced from expectations and the yeah. reality of the majority of american people of it's uh, just the same but much worse for the russian people so they have their own image of how american people should uh, let's say go and vote and should they go uh, vote for black woman of 
woman of color, woman of color, because it's woman of color, because it's the, for the liberal establishment, it's uh, the most progressive thing that uh, should be. And if people don't vote for that and vote for some white old racist, they get angry with these people. I mean, it's going on within your country uh, right. before your eyes for decades. So, uh, and ah, now so it's coming to Russia, of course, of course, they have, would have no idea. So right. they have this image how Russian people should react, but this same <laughs> image how American people should react to their machinations. So there's and a... They, sorry, and they're angry with American people who right. don't abide to their expectations of them. Yeah, the expectations. They, they are 10 times more angry with Russian people. And they can't uh, um, impose the same sanctions, but uh, in a way, with tax cuts and uh, reducing social uh, safety net, they already imposing sanctions on your own populations. It's just they can uh, impose 10 times, 100 times more cruel uh, sanctions on Russian populations, Russian populations, but the dynamic the same. They don't understand majority of people. They don't understand uh, working class. And uh, when the, they see that uh, history doesn't go the way that they would expect it to go, they throw a tantrum, temper tantrum, and that punish us. They punish uh, your working class with uh, their liberal policies. They punish us uh, with uh, they punish Iranians. They punish the rest of the world. So going back to Russia, of course, uh, Russian people uh, sometimes with wrong justification provided this Putin's propaganda and so on, but they get uh, exactly the right picture. Real quickly. It, 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 I, I did hear that there's a difference between the way propaganda works in the United States and the way propaganda works in Russia. Um, it's more naked in Russia, is what I've, what I've been told. So the people know that this is all coming from the Kremlin and this is the state line. Uh, um, Whereas in the US, we think, although it's owned by like three corporations, <laughs> we think that it's um, actually competitive. So is that a fair distinction or? Do people think it's the truth there and people think it's the truth here and it's just the same mess? Well, uh, because Kremlin propaganda is so ubiquitous, I don't think that it's been perceived as Kremlin's propaganda. It's okay. just the base picture of reality, our picture of reality, language, uh, main Russian speaking language discourse. Okay. And everything else, so ba uh, everyone has their own base picture uh, of the world uh, in, the, in the back of their head. So, and because of the ubiquitous nature of Russian propaganda, it uh, builds the main picture of the reality. So, through main channels, mass channels of uh, like popular TV shows like Russian Voice that you mentioned and so on, uh, they translated that normal picture and Kremlin picture are the same. Okay. Uh, exactly the same the same way as uh, the picture of reality that been translated through MSNBC and CNN for American yeah, yeah. liberal audience or Fox News for American conservative uh, audience becoming a default picture. Okay. So they don't think it uh, like well here's the reality of Fox here's the reality of CNN. They think of that here's the reality. And here's the opposing narrative from Fox if you're liberal from CNN if you're conservative. Yeah. Uh, and uh, from liberal, if you Russian, regular Russian citizens, from the Western liberals and so on. Okay. And uh, I, I know you laugh when I mention, uh, refer to my mother. 
my relations with my mother. Uh, but uh, and uh, it was a kind of new revelation for me lately when uh, we, for the last time, was talking about what she heard on TV. That uh, my, I mean, she used to my critique of uh, Putin's regime. It goes on for decades, so she knows that I am quite of opposition views. I don't go further to not disturb her, but. Uh, Maybe that was, I'm not sure, but uh, it sounds like it was the first time when talking to, uh, with me about my opposition views, she called it Western views. So mm. she, she always uh, saw my opposition to uh, Putin's regime as, uh, you know, like uh, some kind of uh, annoying teenager thing, you know, teenager rebellion. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was like an older adult who watching all oh, your contrarian child and so on. That was the main attitude for years. Okay. And I'm not sure, but it sounds like it was I hear for the first time that uh, she mentioned that it's uh, I'm not just a contrarian child. I'm the contrarian childhood uh, part in Western talking points. Huh. That was in you. That's new. And uh, that is new. Yeah, and yes. Uh, so I believe, and that's I believe a direct result of uh, escalation uh, that coming from the West, because uh, right now you cannot ignore the fact that uh, right. ignore that uh, propaganda says that the West out there to get us. Because the West is literally out there to get us. Yeah, the, the West is. Yeah, we say we're out there to get Putin, but we're out there to get Russia. And that's a problem um, in ways that uh, I don't even think. It's literally true. It's literally it's, true. And propaganda of Putin, Putin's propaganda being completely vindicated for the first right. time for 20 years. And you can see how it only strengthened the Putin's position. I mean, Russia being weakened. Okay. Russian institution, Russian uh, any hope of uh, Russian descent from inside the country being completely destroyed. Yeah, but I, on these rebels, Putin's regime getting only stronger. I wouldn't underestimate the amount of Russophobia in the United States just because of propaganda. Um, because that was the way that the Democrat, one of the parties in the U.S., attacked Trump. That was the only thing they could say about him. Well, he's in with Putin. He's in with Russia. And when it didn't really like it, it, it was irrelevant. Um, I, will, I, would not, I, will, I wouldn't, I wouldn't overestimate it too, because uh, it seems to me as a very, very typical, archetypical uh, like uh, image of the other. Right. And you just uh, dress this other uh, to a culturally relevant name at the moment. Uh, but this this image have nothing to do with the real otherness. So <laughs> I, 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 it has nothing to do with Russians. I mean, there is some uh, universal image of the other. In Russia, it's the West. In the American liberal circles, it's the Russia. It's right. the same other that exists in the heads of the people. Right. It uh, just have different avatars. And when you change the circumstances, I mean, why it's important if there was like pre-existing Russophobia, if you change uh, Russian uh, situation, like completely change Russian regime or completely change uh, American political situation, Russophobia will still exist, right? Exactly. Because if exactly. It, it was about Russians, but because it's about uh, this other uh, image of the other, Right. that needed in this current political circumstances in Russia and in America, when you change the circumstances in America, when you change the circumstances in Russia, this image will dissolve immediately. There is no, I don't, I don't see how it would exist. 
like some uh, I, I mean this is the difference uh, this is actually my favorite topic to talk about uh, the philosophical difference between essentialist point of view and materialist point of view I mean essentialist point of view they all about that uh, this existing platonic ideas that there is the idea of Russia that exists right. and uh, some people hated this idea materialist yeah. worldview is quite the opposite i mean it, the, the, it is the root of any uh, difference between political fractions and so on uh, materialist view said that uh, provides the understanding that it's all about the circumstances in uh, different circumstances different uh, archetypes different uh, scenarios plays out and right now this scenario plays out you change the circumstances it becomes irrelevant Right. I mean, there so is I would... definitely, dif I mean, sorry, I just finished this, yeah, uh, yeah. There, there is definitely, definitely, Russophobia right now exists, it's in action, I can't call, I uh, detested this word uh, before, but right now you can't call any, this anyone, anything else but Russophobia, but this is a circumstantial Russophobia, uh, not essential Russophobia, if you change the circumstances first from the West, because it's coming from the West, uh there won't be a phenomenon that you can call russophobia uh, again so it's just a phenomenon that exists not because the pre-existing russophobia but because circumstances created it so right now russophobia exists but it was created and it will dissolve the moment that circumstances that led to its creation will change so i'm trying to think about what could happen internally in the u.s that would strengthen Russian democratic institutions. What could we do to ourselves, or maybe in relationship to you, that would actually? Uh, you should you uh, you should uh, strengthen your own democracy. Right, so we strengthen you our should, I mean, uh, I, I thought about this a lot. I just put it out there. Just uh, uh, concrete uh, institutional political policy advice for you. I mean, I believe. In, 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 I, I will explain later, I hope, but I, I, I know that the answer to uh, systemic racism in one word, in two words, abolish Senate. If you abolish, because the root, the root of the systemic racism, I mean, if you go, I, I actually wrote about it in Russia, uh, in Russian, but if you go to the history of systemic racism, why Senate exists, I'm pretty sure you're aware in, in details of this. It was created to institute systemic racism. And the, and the filibuster and so on, is, uh, every, everything about Senate was created and exists only to continue this uh, systemic right. racism. When you, I mean, it won't happen overnight, but when you abolish Senate and make uh, America yes. one uh, chamber uh, parliament uh, from the house, you have to expand the house, of course, you should expand the house. It's too small right now, historically speaking. Uh, not overnight, but in in a generation, you will see systemic racism dissolving because the biggest institutional power that uh, holds ties the whole systemic racism thing together is Senate right now. You should, uh, yes. No, I think that's really good to think of the Senate as fundamentally an anti-democratic institution that's obstructing the work that the house could do 
to further democracy and the the one chamber house could do to further democracy that's actually i mean i mean i mean, I mean if you if 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 you go if you go even deeper in the history of parliaments you will see that the two chamber parliaments uh always were created as anti-democratic <laughs> so there was like house of commons democratic and house institutions. of lords yeah uh, house of Lords to control this democratic institution. There is no other reason for House of Lords upper chamber to exist That's than good. to constrain democratic impulses. So you need to to go further in institutional terms. I mean, it's uh, it's it's quite easy actually if you yeah, think no, uh, this through. Uh, you need to just uh, destroy upper bodies of the parliament in every country. Leave the uh, broad one chamber uh, parliament uh, house in your case just expanded so uh, it was like uh, more people represent smaller parts of the population and give them ultimate uh, lawmaking power so it also implies uh, abolishing presidency and that's it so you have only house uh, but uh, I mean, in general, yes, uh, upper house of the parliament everywhere is anti-democratic explicitly. They created to be anti-democratic, so to be the systems. But in the U.S. case, they also explicitly racist because the whole uh, history created of the union. And I mean, I think the your founding fathers they did a great job in terms of negotiating the um, agreement that would hold uh, 13 states together. Hmm. And they uh, made the necessary compromises, uh, hard compromises, but it was for the better. So, but they created a problem that should be resolved and it was partially resolved, started to be resolved in, uh, 18 years later during the civil war because there was a second class citizens, non-citizens, basically. And uh, you are still, historically speaking, in the process of the resolution of it. And, the, and the, you will, uh, and the problem was created, it was uh, temporary solution, Senate was created to keep the states together. But right now, uh, you, don't have, you don't need to keep the states together, you formed a nation and you will finish uh, the project that your founding fathers uh, started when democratic project because some of them of course were not very democratic but if you want the democratic side of them to win and finish their project <laughs> you need this temporary institution of presidency and senate historically speaking i believe they are temporary uh, abolish completely and uh, expand the house and leave like a uh, thousand people of uh, the house that will have ultimate legislative power and control of the complete control over, of course, judicial power and uh, executive power. And so, executive. so you think the minister system where the, the executive emerges from the house is preferable as an institution? Yes, uh, yes, uh, I believe that, uh, I let's say I don't believe, I disappoint uh in the whole division of power systems because division of power systems is uh actually it's uh more like say uh complicated uh, system that uh, serves the same purpose of status quo preserving status quo so i mean the upper 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 body of the parliament it's more explicit uh institution that uh preserves the status quo okay. division of the power uh 
because of blocking of the any kind of radical change and radical change, of course, from the standpoint of the elite. So any change of status quo, that's what radical change means. Uh, it, division of the power uh, blocks uh, uh, any radical change. So it serves, subsequently it serves to, conversely, it serves to status quo. And we see right now, again, in America, America is uh, actually a great, great uh, example to look for this because you were built from the scratch, yeah. you were built from your constitution, so you don't have this all pre-existing uh, historical uh, conditions and uh, right. traditions, institutions like Europe. So you can oh, see well, how this idea plays out in uh, like a purest uh, experiment possible. You see how capitalism plays out, you see how this idea of a division of power, republicanism uh, plays out, and you see how uh, when it plays out long enough, the division of power com powers completely paralyzes the system. When the presidency took over the foreign policy and wars, that should be controlled by the uh, House, and uh, you have uh, absolutely unconstitutional amount of power by judicial system, because uh, if, and uh, again, it all serves the logic of preservation of status quo, because uh, if uh, house becoming the threat to status quo, you need to move power away from house. And luckily enough, you have this division of power, you have two other branches where it could move the power, move the weight, uh, center of the masses of the power. So you can block this uh, radical changes. And that's how your system become became completely permanently stuck for decades legislatively. Yeah, I, it's not I, about I, only it's not about only Senate. It's all about division of power. But if you are looking at it with uh, broad brushes, you can think you can say that it's quite easy. I mean, it's easier to say than done, but <laughs> it's quite easy. You should abolish presidency, abolish Senate, expand the uh, the House like twice of the size at least and uh, don't be afraid of thousand members i like house. that and put them uh, as an ultimate expression of the will of the majority give them the ultimate power of the of course executive and judicial branches because if you have only one um, chamber of the parliament that directly well not directly but indirectly but with one uh, additional step expresses the will of the majority, of course, they should have say over the executive policies, over judicial policies, because it's literally the will of the people. And right now, Senate and presidency obstructing this will. So in terms of uh, go in, when American democracy will strengthen, when you uh, remove these shackles on your democracy, when you will be able to go to the situation when the majority uh, uh, majority supported policies uh, will become from the uh, impossible wish list to reality when you build the system. I mean, I explained uh, in my view how should system that will provide the realization of the wish list, but it doesn't matter if you build another system that will ex uh, execute this wishes of the majority. So it will be a democratic system. When you build it, when you build it, you will uh, do the best that you can possibly do for the Russia and for the rest of the world because so that's what. Real quick, I want to interject. The idea is that if we secure our democratic institutions and make reforms to make our nation more representative of the will of the people, somehow the nation will be less predatory. Exactly. I mean, it's I, not that we need uh, exactly the world need your help, 
the world uh, need, needs less your military and political intervention. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that the democratic uh, United States of America, truly democratic Europe, mm-hmm. will uh, much more likely implement and vote for some kind of martial plan for post-Putin's Russia instead okay. of another shock therapy. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure that people, the majority of the people of any country, America, Russia, will uh, any anytime, any anywhere vote for shock therapy for themselves, and they definitely won't vote for shock therapy for anyone else, for any other country. So this uh, uh, this option will be out of the table if you have the truly the true democracy in your country. And I'm pretty sure that a uh, true democratic uh, country and uh, the majority represented will much much more likely. Uh, definitely won't vote for another shock therapy for post-Putin Russia and yeah. very likely will vote for another Marshall plan for post-Putin Russia uh, and that's what all we need. So we, uh, the best that America could do for Russia and for the rest of the world and for Ukraine is to do the work on yourself. That's, uh, that, that, that's it. That's, and that's actually a great way to, I got to I gotta go because I got the kids, but um, thank you for your time. No, I like the idea that we're ending it. The best thing that America could do for Russia is work on our own institutions, make them more democratic, because if we do so, we'll be less likely to impose more austere and brutish um, sanctions or just policies in general onto other countries and insofar as and our relations with them will be, I don't know, we'll have a different culture about them. Um, because right now, insofar as the US is trying to sustain its own oligarchy, we end up reproducing oligarchies in the countries that we deal with or or being predators on them because that's what oligarchs do, they, they feed. <laughs> because oh. you're the biggest, you're the biggest power in the world. You, of course, whatever going on is uh, within your within your political system affects the rest of the world. I mean, so yes, the best that you could do for Russia is uh, to do the work on yourselves. Good. All right. Well, thank you for your time. By the way, when yes. finishing, can I plug in some stuff? Uh, yeah, yeah, really yeah. Quick? What's going on? Because uh, because I uh, just really started to do this thing that I'm doing right now. I mean, I was dreaming about it for years, but right now I'm starting and I want to go full time, which is hard. Uh, and I need support of the community. So okay. Patreon, Substack. And actually, if any crypto bros are watching you out there, I would need their help too, because I can't actually monetize not, no Patreon, no Substack because of the sanctions. So the content will be completely free. There, I mean, I, I, I appreciate my patrons. I wish there will be more, but right now money there, I just accumulate for the better future. I can't withdraw them. Right. So my Substack uh, writings also will be for free for a while because of the financial blockade. So in terms of uh, immediate support of my uh, work and living, uh, I would appreciate some uh, crypto bros chipping in. And then, uh, uh, I mean, that's, that's the best case you can possibly make for the crypto. I mean, it's a necessity right now because of the sanctions. I'm not a big fan of the whole scam economy, but sorry uh, for crypto bros. But right now, I will appreciate the help of the community because through, through this means, because uh, it's really necessary for me for 
really turning this as a kind of full-time uh, advocacy for socialism, really. <laughs> so how do they get to you through crypto, uh, cryptocurrency? I mean, uh, I will I will show you uh, my crypto to add into description, but also okay. my Twitter, Yegor Kotkin, my Patreon and Substack, Yegor Kotkin, everywhere <laughs> there, uh, my crypto wallets, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum are right there, so I will appreciate the help from the community. But Good. it's a necessity, not the goal of my work. But he needs to eat too. So once again, Yugod uh, Kotkin, um, he has a Substack, he has a Patreon, you said? If you yes, just put I appreciate, in I appreciate uh, pledges from the patrons, but right now they are just accumulating for the future. Right. Right is, now. So most of the content will be free for a while. Will be free for a while, but I, I hope that when uh, the patrons will grow up, the number of patrons will grow up. Like many, 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 much money to withdraw. Sometimes in the future, that will be uh, uh, make my soul warm thinking about that. <laughs> and I know he's also on Medium because I've read a few of his pieces. So if you put his name in Medium, a few of his recent uh, articles. I think you same, 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 same address. So right now all the content will be for free no. uh, because I wanted it to be free and uh, there is no point for me to, there is no uh, way to me for even part of it to be uh, built under the paywall. So it will be for free. I, uh, I will appreciate any kind of immediate support for crypto. I will appreciate uh, patrons, uh, patrons, and I immensely uh, appreciate uh, free subscribers on Substack and followers on Twitter because uh, the most important thing for me is to well spread the message. I have a very explicit agenda. Agenda. I don't. I don't hide it. It uh, goes above me, and I follow this agenda. Good. No, I I support I support uh, Diego and and I think you should too. Go find him on Substack. So I got, like, actually there are a few pieces you've written. Uh, name some titles that because they're actually it's a diverse kind of group of essays on political theory that you put together. One was on uh, the uh, shock therapy versus the Marshall Plan. There was another one that I thought that was actually pretty interesting. What what the West go, uh, gets wrong about Russia, about Russian history. Good. I mean, my best writings are actually many of the uh, things that I was talking with you about, like uh, American political system, analysis of, analysis of history, um, analysis of your constitutional history, and this uh, advice that uh, I uh, deduced from this, like, uh, if you want to abolish the Senate, abolish Senate, it's uh, like that. This all uh, is uh, done in my Russian writings, so I'm fully intended to translate it in English, and so there is much more to come. But my most of the my, my the most interesting work done in the language that you can treat. Okay, well, thank you very much. Um, I'm going to put some of this work in the description of this video, and thank you, and we'll see you again. Take care. I mean, thank you. My pleasure. It, uh, I'm grateful for the invitation, and uh, big fan of your appearances on the Breaking Points and Rising. Actually, you you actually you actually gave me the confidence to go on the show and. Uh, run uh run uh uninterruptedly for 20 minutes <laughs> yeah yeah well okay so i'll tell you real quickly they often say when you go on a show like that you should talk as if you've been there before and you should be composed but i go in with the other attitude i go in there and talk like they're never gonna have me back ever again and this is my one shot so i just have to get, <laughs> get it all out there it's uh depending on who you talk to that is immature but 
you never know if you're going to go back. So <laughs> I think, I think uh, if I've been cut off because I'm talking too long, I think, I don't think it's, it's my problem because I was talking too long, too long. It's their problem because they, they didn't have much time. And it all depends on how much substance you have. If you provide people uh, some substance, they won't be angry with you that you were talking too long. They will be angry with them that you uh, cut you off shortly. So it all works out fine for me. <laughs> Good. Thanks a lot, Yegor. I will talk to you at another time. Bye. My pleasure. Thank you. Bye.